Yo, yo, this is Treasy. And I'm Young Leezy. And we are the On Ear Network. We know you've heard our tag at the end of this show, but it dawned on us that we've never really introduced ourselves. So we wanted to invite you to listen to all of our podcasts. Right now, our roster consists of And Then We Had Sex, a comedy couple that talks about their sex life with an occasional celebrity. The Locker Room, where men take off their filters and say how they really feel. And Grams of Snow, for your underworld and organized crime stories. And of course, Kind of Movie Critics which is our show, where we deep dive into movies and TV. So if you enjoy this show, check out some of One Ear's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's start the show. Please be advised, the Kind of Movie Critics podcast may contain spoilers. This includes most of the movies you're going to want to see. This shit also contains profanity, so there's that. Enjoy. Yo, yo, this is Treasy. Hey, hey, this is Corey. It's Martin the Mailman. It's your man Chandler, and I'm Young Leezy. <laughs> Chandler with Chandler with the with the porno voice. <laughs> you got the porn stash too, there, bud. <laughs> and we're Thanks the kind of movie we're the kind of movie critics. Uh, back for your listening pleasures. Uh, that that felt weird, but we're gonna roll with it. Uh, here to talk about Dune, Young yeah. Dune by Denny. How do you pronounce his name? His last name officially. Denny Villeneuve. 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 I think it's just Villeneuve. Nice. Denny Villeneuve. I was, early on, I was butchering his name very badly. You were calling him Dennis Villeneuve. Den- <laughs> Dennis Villeneuve. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was going all out. He was, he was, uh, yeah, I, he, I, I was I going all think out. Villeneuve is the same thing as Villeneuve, but French. I think it is the same thing. So, like. so I wasn't all the way wrong. And then, of course, it's Dennis, but it's Denny, 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 with French, Denny, you know. So. Denis. Denis. Um, How are you guys feeling, man? Feeling really good. good. Feeling really positive. I'm at about a two or a three out of ten. It's pretty, that's pretty high. That's pretty, that's pretty high. Well, that's yeah. pretty bleak, then, if that's pretty high. Nah, man, it's great. Yeah. Awesome. Chandler is exceptionally <laughs> pale tonight. I don't think that I've seen you with this like you know what it is? It's cause you shaved your beard really low. So like your face is whiter than I used to there's no hair on it. I've been looking good recently, but I haven't taken care of myself in a long time. In a, in a self love type way. You're not, flick, you're not flicking the bean. Sir, <laughs> whoa, that was an off mic joke that you brought into real life. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you can edit it, you can, you can edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> you know how depraved you are, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so obviously, we we're here to doom, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how That's... do you guys watch doom? <laughs> And I watched it next to you, Martin, in the movie theater. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, you know uh, the crazy thing about AMZ. I forgot how many commercial, how many uh, ads they have, like previews. Yeah, it's like thirty dog. minutes. It of went on stuff. for like twenty minutes straight. Like, Man, mad. Previews. They had two. They had two commercials for IMAX just to tell you that you're watching an IMAX movie in IMAX like, <laughs> after you pay for an IMAX yeah. ticket. <laughs> yeah. So you you guys saw it in the the IMAX auditorium. Yeah, yeah, man. C twenty four. I I gotta see. So I saw it in the Dolby, which is usually my favorite way to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did not disappoint. You know, the Dolby. They the big thing is like they have a um, 
a 4K HDR projector in there, so you get really good dynamic range. Oh, nice. And they have rumblers in the seats, so anytime there's a lot of bass, like it literally, like you you feel the whole theater shaking. It's really cool. But so um, when they did the voice or whatever, you could hear that really well. Dude, it was wild. Bro, yeah. bro I'm telling you, yo, Corey, I'm telling you. Okay, you and Lizzie, because both of y'all watched it on HBO Max, right? Yes. Yo, yes. fam, did did y'all watch it with like mad bass or like oh, yeah. a headphone I, uh, device or? No, I, I cranked up the sound bar and turned on turned the lights real low and got down to business. Yeah, no, so. that, the, when they used the voice, you felt it in your chest. Like that jump felt like it like touched like a chakra. Like it it, it felt crazy. I can't even explain it. Did y'all have that same experience, uh, Martin and, and Chandler? Like with like the voice just it felt like. You oh, were yeah, being I was, commanded. I was right mm-hmm. next to you, so 100%. <laughs> <laughs> we might have had so different again, experiences. For the, so just to clarify, <laughs> Martin and Treasy were together <laughs> in the same room watching the film. Together, but separate, but together. You know? You know I was going to say, I got to see it in the IMAX theater, though, because they shot a lot of stuff in IMAX. And I know Corey is really opposed to this sort of thing but i love when we cut to imax footage and we get the taller aspect ratio i don't that is I, like i don't mind it i don't mind it as much in the theater because you're it doesn't occupy so much of your vision you know yeah. but like i hate it when you're at home and they do it i okay. I, I think home is just complete hot garbage um mm. I, I in the theater I can I can give it a pass see i want it at home because otherwise you never get that footage ever again it's I, gone forever. It's just so obvious what they're doing. It's, it's just like, oh. do, 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 and I don't like it. Well, I that's like I it. think that's bad usage of it, right? Like, yeah. ultimately, you should try to either shoot a whole sequence in IMAX mm-hmm. or do none at all. Like, yeah. uh, No Time to Die had two big sequences in IMAX, and it's like, for like 10 or 15 minutes, it's tall, and then you don't even notice when it goes back. Yeah, I was gonna say I didn't. Three, five. I didn't notice it at all. Like I, I never notice when it goes from IMAX to to you yeah. know, regular sixteen nine or whatever. Most of the time, sometimes two, three, I five. don't notice it either when I'm when I'm in a theater watching. It's it's that home nonsense that just gets mm. on my nerves. Mm. So. For a movie you chose to watch at home, yes. Yes, <laughs> I have very specific parameters <laughs> about my home viewing experience. Okay, which you curated. Yeah, that I curated. So. so how many how many of y'all saw the original? Uh the original I've seen the original David Lynch. I've and seen it many, many, many times. Okay. Which is why I'm very keen on picking up Dune references in Star Wars. I still hate God. it. I, I, don't understand, I, don't, I don't understand how you pick them up if you've never seen the movie Chandler. Because I just know a lot about Star Wars and pop culture at large. That's why I'm part of the podcast. <laughs> at large. <laughs> Anytime but somebody it's says been at a large, part of, it's, it's been a part of Star Wars since the first Star Wars. It's not like a I new know, thing that they talk about do. spice mining. <laughs> I mean, in the whole general con- concept of the story is pretty, you know. But if you if once you watch the David Lynch version of Dune, you will understand why that is ridiculous. But what, why, what is ridiculous? Watch the movie, and then you'll understand why it's ridiculous. Because George Lucas should not have wanted 
people to associate the two. That's all I'm saying. But no, no, yeah. no. I think you got the timeline messed up because Dune came out after yeah. Return of the Jedi. So all the, the Star Wars trilogies references to Dune are based on the novel. Gotcha. Mm. I think if you guys will take the time, get really drunk or high or whatever you choose to do in life, and watch the original Dune, it will be the best time of your life. Um, it is a ridiculous <laughs> film. I've never heard anybody speak of it positively. It is not very good, but <laughs> no, but it, and it's really this bonkers ass adventure. Yeah. Of cinema viewing, it is ridiculous. It's, it's very absurd. ambitious. It's very <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> That's not even. It is. It, it is uncanny. Yeah. Has, Can I has please? Anyone, like, oh, go ahead. Go so, ahead. so I do appreciate um, some of the differences, some of the fat that was cut out that mm-hmm. Denny just didn't go there. He cut like the first fifteen minute sequence out um, and just gave some like. Ex- dialogue as like exposition he did it in a clever way too where it wasn't just like blah, 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 blah. Yeah. um for some of the obvious places where he did it but i'm disappointed that i didn't get to see the fucking crane pussy lip monsters oh the, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know how they like teleport into the emperor mm-hmm. and then they like talk through these weird vaginas in their faces yeah. Dang, see, I don't, see. I watched it. I watched. I only watched the original Dune one time. That was the beginning of this year, and it's somewhat of a so much happened in that film that it's like a blur to me. Yeah, you know, it's like I remember keep. So. I remember when he was riding the the worm. <laughs> was that mm-hmm. wasn't that's he riding the yeah, worm? That's a good so, Like I remember. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how they're gonna do that in this movie. Because the yes, the yo, worm, that shit was horrible. <laughs> the worm is so much bigger in this version than it is in that version. It's massive. It's massive. <laughs> it's nice. Massive. That was that was a good callback. Good callback. Well, my yeah. thing was, you know, at, at the end of the remake, you see the 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 Freeman on on the on the 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 worm, but like when the worm decides to go under. Isn't that just kind of a wrap for that whole situation? <laughs> you gotta hop off. You got no one to hop out of the double dutch rope, bro. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Has well, anybody seen the documentary about the uh, the version of Dune that almost got made by Alejandro Jodorowsky? No. 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 So, uh, according to Wikipedia here... <laughs> Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky. I'm probably, I mean, just absolutely terminating that uh, pronunciation. He was a Chilean French filmmaker, and he got really close to making a version of Dune mm-hmm. um, that eventually fell apart. This was in the late 70s. And he is a very avant-garde filmmaker. Um, I don't believe he actually made very many films but he was going to bring to life this very, very strange and impressionistic version of Dune that at least the documentary's narrative, and the documentary is called Jodorowsky's Dune, mm-hmm. and it just like looks into like the concept art and all the strange ways they were going to bring this film to life. And all the scholars who were like really into Dune that they, you know, interviewed for the documentary said like it, it had the potential because it was going to be made before Star Wars, I believe. I think it was like 76 that they were eyeing for a release date, maybe. I might be wrong on that, but 
they were saying like if it had gotten made, it might have kind of beat Star Wars to the punch in terms of um you know being the the next big craze that like dictated where pop culture went. And then of course that version of the film didn't happen, and then Dilo De Laurent- Dino De Laurentiis got it, and then the Lynch version ended up getting made in the eighties. Mm. But it's really interesting. You should look into it if you're interested in like uh, versions of movies that came close to happening but never did. Yeah. What What's the mythology that was around this film? Like, it, it, you know, is how is it regarded? Like in the cult classic sphere? Like, is there is it pretty heavy or is it just kind of like, uh, you know, I, I I don't really know too much about it. Right. I like, think, I, it just, go ahead. I think Dune is like kind of a deep cut in fandom mm-hmm. for pedestrian nerds. Okay. So, I mean, like, I, so like Chandler likes the things, as mm-hmm. do I. Um, but, like, that was too deep of a cut for him. Like, he was, he just wasn't interested up until, what, recently, right? I I mean, I was interested when I knew, because I think it was, like, four years ago now that uh, Denis was attached to do this. And I was like, okay, I'm into that. Like, I know Dune is important, and I like Denis. Um, but like, I didn't, I didn't watch any of the other versions or, you know, I didn't watch the sci-fi miniseries uh. version or the, you know, the Lynch version just cause I was like, I'm not really that interested in it. <laughs> um, mm. and I just wanted this to be the first time I experienced the story. And I mean, I, you know, I'll never know what the other experience would have been, but I'm, I'm glad that I, uh, I saved myself from marriage with, uh, Denise Dune cause I, I really didn't know what to expect. And like for part two. I assume there's going to be some big final battle or whatever, and someone's going to ride a sandworm because they they tease that in the end. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I don't really know what to expect for part two either. So it's it's pretty thrilling to just watch part one here right. and just let it wash over me. Shit gets really <laughs> weird. That's all yeah. I'm gonna tell you. Shit I'll be honest really with you. To, strange. to the uninitiated, this was. <laughs> also strange i was like okay there's a lot of like strange words mm-hmm. that i do not know how to spell or pronounce mm. um i mean and the performances are weird like i mean no they're not <laughs> trust, trust me. me yeah trust <laughs> me <laughs> no, yo, yeah, this is very balanced Man, compared yo, to the original yeah. if, if you that's why i'm telling you you got to watch the original the original is like there's so many things and decisions that were made that you know are very complicated decisions in the filmmaking world, so, and like so, you so know, like twenty twenty four, I'll come back around and watch it because I don't really mm-hmm. want to spoil what happens in the end for myself either. So, so I'll probably save it. This is not really a spoiler, but in the David Lynch version, so you know how Mama's pregnant, right? <laughs> that fucking baby is nuts, yo. <laughs> I, I was that. like, what the fuck is that? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that. like all time creepy movie children, bro. That that's <laughs> one of them. <laughs> what, all right, so let's, let's 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 get a read on the room. How did y'all feel about Denny's version of Doom? So I, I think- would have preferred the IHOP version. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist, huh? I cannot. <laughs> um, I think we all agree that um, the original is a deep cut cult fave for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this. Denny seems to be the guy that 
take something that people love that actually isn't very good, um, <clears throat> Blade Runner, and right. <laughs> actually makes it some dope shit. So, like, after I saw Blade Runner, I was very excited to see what he's done with Doom. Mm-hmm. I've realized that, like, a lot of the unintentional camp that comes from the original Dune is, like, what I love it for. Mm-hmm. This is a much more coherent story. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of boring without all the bullshit. Like, if, I, if I'm being honest, I'm, I enjoyed it because I feel like it is an improvement um, visually, even like the way they're telling the story is an improvement. They, they spend some more time on some planets that we didn't get to see before. Um, they took out some of the homophobic shit that was in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't appreciate the new pronunciation of Harkonnen, like Harkonnen. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I was like, I know. I I was really about to try to pull up the old movie because I watched the for the first time like a month ago. I was like, wait a minute. It, that, this is a new pronunciation. I don't know how I feel about it. They were House hmm. Harkonnen my entire yeah. life. Harkonnen. Harkonnen. I was like, what's You Harkonnen? see, this stuff that y'all are talking about is exactly why I didn't want to watch the old one, man, because I just wanted to watch this new one and, and not be worried about petty stuff like how they pronounce Harkonnen. <laughs> Harkonnen. Well, well, okay, so... I shot first. As the two guys... Uh, so, like, uh, Martin and Chandler, as, as the guys who haven't seen the original, where, where, you know, where did you fall into this? Like, how did you feel about this experience? Martin? Uh, I definitely liked it. I, I would say... It's it's obviously a very beautiful film, and I think it does a lot of sci-fi things that I haven't really seen before. And I, I like the new take as far as like colonization and um and and how like the colonizer almost like an infestation, whereas like their spaceships look like insects, like literally. Um, but I felt like I was only really having fun with the movie when I would see like Jason Momoa or uh. Zendaya at the end the rest of the movie is pretty much like it's not bland but it's like super super serious mm. that uh and and of course there was still some great moments there's still some great action scenes and, and I, I think overall I really liked it definitely want to see a second half but as far as like memorable characters there's a lot of great performances but those two were like the ones that I was like really having fun with the movie mm. once they came in Interesting. Okay. I think I agree with Martin pretty much to the team, man. I, you know, I, I've seen um, most of Denis' films. The, the only one that I can really think that I haven't seen is, um, or at least of his like American films, is Prisoners. I haven't seen that. But Oh, you, ooh. you watch Prisoners. Prisoners is a very good movie. My Extremely favorite good. of all of them is Blade Runner 2049. That's one of my favorite movies of like, my whole life. Um, wow. Okay. And, you know, when I saw that movie, you know, I was very cognizant of how slow it was and how, like, there's a lot of time where, quote unquote, nothing is happening. But I felt so, like, just totally immersed in this world he was creating. And it just felt like, I really felt like in that film, in Blade Runner 2049, that even the scenes where you're not seeing plot or character really advance there is something like very complex and deep being communicated through the visuals and the music 
about the world of the film and and thus something being said about our own world. And so I'm down for like a two hour, 40 minute long tone poem. Okay. But I do think this version of Dune, it is kind of boring. And it is, I mean, it's just long stretches of, you know, just incredible desert photography and like very moody, um, interesting music from Hans Zimmer, who uh, really went out of his comfort zone and like used like new instruments and stuff to create a sonic landscape like I've never heard before. And everyone just looks incredible. I mean, Chalamet's hair should be nominated for best supporting actor. <laughs> um, He's a rock star, man. I like that. He, kid. he looks incredible, but yeah. it is. I had a hard time really making myself be engaged and I was actively trying, um, mm. you know, I was really, really trying to dial in and I just couldn't help but be aware of like, you know, that my butt was kind of sore and I needed to shift positions. <laughs> oh, I was shift. I was so, shifty. I was shifty. My, king my, at the theater. My buddy, uh, Dean that I saw the film with, he, <laughs> he said that, uh, somebody will probably like on Reddit, like make Dune the sand cut. And it'll just be like 90 minutes of all the sand photography that's in the film, like just shots of sand. Because, I mean, it really feels like they took about an hour of story content and then just stretched it out and made it very moody. And 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 I, and I get the point. It just – I don't know, man. For some reason, it didn't totally work for me. But I did really like the film, and I plan on, like, watching it many more times. But I something was missing for me that, that didn't pull me in 100%. So – Treasy, do you remember what I was texting you about this film? You said that it it wasn't it lacked Denny's tone and Chandler basically took my what I was trying to say and said it. The I 100% agree with you Chandler. Like I was sitting there going, the thing that I loved about Blade Runner, the thing that I loved about Prisoners, the thing I love about Sicario, it wasn't in this film. Mm. Like there, the tone poem, like it's all three of those films have large moments where nothing is really happening, but you you are being communicated a lot. And this film, I felt like didn't do that. This to me was the least Denny film of the Denny films I've seen. But I agree with what you're saying on the back end. Like it was a great film. It has some amazing things about it. And I definitely would see it again. I want to see part two. But if I'm being a kind of critic, I, that was my one complaint. I was just like, there's something missing from his usual films, which usually have these scenes that are usually very quiet or very still. And yes, there's a lot of sand that's not moving in this film, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the same. And I mentioned to you that I had to, I had to pull some scenes like, the scene of uh, Ryan Gosling walking into the orange Las Vegas, mm -hmm. you know, it's he's walking like very slowly. The the noise and the sound design there is it it speaks volumes. And I just and, and even when he walks into the casino with the with the the electronics all fucked up around him and stuff. I mean, it just didn't have that tone and that editing style that I like. From, that I've always learned to like from Denny. So interesting. I'm See, that's crazy, man. Because uh, you know, my experience was 
totally opposite. I felt like this didn't lack tone at all. You know, I felt like it didn't lack tone. I felt like, and, and, you know, it was consistent with the fact that to me, Denny always knows what movie he's making, Mm. you know, like there's never, there's never a moment where I don't feel like, or I feel like, um, uh, you know, nothing wasn't really taken care of. A scene wasn't really taken care of. Because Um, he's a, not to cut you off, but like, he's a masterful filmmaker. I will, mm-hmm. I will, I will grant him the title of a master filmmaker. Yeah, I, th- I think he might be. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I think he might be the best modern day filmmaker. I would, I would make an argument but, and say he's the best modern day filmmaker. And I'm not saying the film doesn't have tone. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is it doesn't have that tone that he normally brings to his films, in my opinion, mm. through his sound design, his shots, and his editing. And I'm also formulating a theory that I think. Um, Roger Deakins affects films way more than just the shots. I think yeah. he, I think he directs on the low, <laughs> like mm. so because all three of those films were shot by Roger Deakins, and it's also the same argument that I made when you compare Skyfall and Spectre, which are directed by the same person, but Skyfall by Roger Deakins is completely different than Spectre. So I, I have a theory. Hey, hold on, because Spectre is still not. We're not. We can't do a Bond sidebar, but I know. Spectre is an, a beautiful movie, and it's Hoyt Van Ho- Hoytema, and Hoyt, he does yeah. an incredible job. He and, does. And and uh, I mean, you're talking about those are like maybe the top two guys in the whole. I know game right but now. But the tone, <laughs> Bradford Young man. Yeah, I knew you were going to pull Bradford Young. But every the time tone. we talk, every time we put talk about cinematography, black man got to pull Bradford you know, Young out of his ass. <laughs> The crazy part is though is like Bradford. You can see Roger Deakins influencing Bradford Young. Like there's there's some Deakins no. in there. Oh yes, there is. How yes, so? there is. How so? A uh, dark silhouetted. That okay. moody. Let's be let's be clear. Let's be clear. Roger Deakins doesn't have uh, a patent on he doesn't the, on dark. No, he, he doesn't. He does not have a patent. I'm not dark. saying that, but Roger Deakins good. is landscape to me. Like like he does he does. He does very like. Um, first of all, you know, to me, he's like the the one of the only DPs that I think utilizes true like singles. He doesn't do like dirty singles. He does like single singles. I feel like that and like what he does with landscapes are his only two trademarks. I don't I don't put him in the dark category. Like I think you need to go revisit Roger Deakins. He, it, it's entirely he shoots whole movie segments in this in silhouette. It's just it's a he does a lot of back, heavy backlighting, mm-hmm. complete silhouettes. I mean, the whole third act of Skyfall is a silhouette with a burning house in the background. I mean, and you look at 1917, uh, the the city that's on fire. I mean, it's just you got to I would really, really, really encourage you to go back and look at his stuff. OK, okay but, but this so. movie, this movie is I, I don't know if it's pronounced. I always thought it was Greg Frazier, but it's, there's an I in there. I'm just going to say Greg, though. But this guy is a very accomplished cinematographer. He's a younger dude. He was only born in 1975. But, like, he's had some major hits within the past 10 years. Zero Dark Thirty, Rogue One, which is an incredible-looking movie. I'm not saying that the movie looks bad. That's not what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that I think Roger Deakins affects the editing, the tone, the pace way more than other DPs do. Yeah, there's I mean, no way no. to substantiate that claim, but I, I can I can agree with you that he nebulously brings a lot to any film that he's worked on. But I, yeah. I mean, there's no way we know. I know I, it's I, just a theory based on based on the body of work. I think it's nostalgia bias for you. Uh, I'm not even gonna hold you. I, 
I I I don't think so, man. But I mean, you know, we can do this again. <laughs> we can do this again. I just I I just I see a difference. I see a difference in films that are made by the same director, and you you just see this very particular tone and style that is delivered through different DPs, mm-hmm. and and I just think he has a bigger influence in the finished product than. Than usual DPs, but right. that's my whole point. I was agreeing with Chandler that there's there's <laughs> something there that isn't there. There's something not there that I usually love about Denny's films. Doesn't just, Bell sing a song about that in like the middle of Beauty of the Beast? I think there's something there that wasn't there before. I don't. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that's over my head. Uh, I, I Am I the only Disney guy on here? I, I you might be. Definitely. While I was waiting for Insecure to come on was listening to people sing Disney Broadway like concert thing they have on <laughs> Disney Plus. Cool. Um sis really got off I don't know what his name is, but he was singing his face off. But I don't I skipped through the rest of the Beauty and the Beast. Sorry. <laughs> got it. So okay, well I wonder I wonder because like I, I had I okay, so just my take. I truly, truly, truly enjoyed this movie. Uh obviously way more than the original. Um, you know, the whole, (laughs) right. The whole, um, you know, the the critique of slow and boring, that's probably the most consistent, consistent critique I hear about this film. None of that bothered me. I mean, I did, I did find myself like switching all types of positions just because, you know, I'm a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big boy, man. I can't sit in one position for too long. Yeah, I thought you were going to sleep (laughs) when you kept switching positions. Hell nah. (laughs) Hell nah. I was just trying to, I was just trying to find my zone, man. That's all that was about. But I wonder, I, because all three of you guys, or excuse me, all four of y'all, I'm sorry, all four of y'all. Um, Which one of us were you leaving out? Can I ask? Yeah, I don't even know. It's like my phone. Like, it's weird. My phone only shows four of us. It shows me and three other people. But my computer shows four. So anyway, sidebar. Um, uh, I wonder if it's because you all are heavily indoctrinated into like science fiction. Um, you know, like was I just was I just appreciating this story at this scale? And this is like a place that you guys normally live at. It might be that. Um, mm-hmm. bec- th- this story does a whole lot of things. It's very politically convoluted. Um, I definitely think it's in 2021, the political messaging is received differently than, than in the eighties. Um, but as I was watching it, I was like, Okay, how many times do I need to watch a Jesus trope? There's a prophecy. Mm-hmm. There's a there's the Messiah's come like Harry Potter. It's a New Hope. It it's literally like how many how many times are we gonna talk about Jesus? Like I thought <laughs> so, about the same thing. Right. If I can chime in on that, because I think that's an unfortunate circumstance of. There have been so many things that have been influenced by Dune, like Star Wars, for instance. Mm-hmm. But even Star Wars did it, you know, coming up on 50 years ago. And Harry Potter did it 30 years ago, like when the novels were coming out. And there have been so many think pieces written on all the film blogs about, like, we need to move past a chosen one narrative. And, you gotta, and then <laughs> you got Willow. Dune. Right. <laughs> Matrix. Right, another Lucasfilm property. Yeah, and Matrix. you've got so then you've got this adaptation 
of this novel from the 50s that has, is really inspirational to a lot of older you know, I guess elder statesmen in Hollywood, right, who've been trying to get a solid adaptation made for a long time. And I just can't help but think, like, to what you're saying. If there's, like, a 16-year-old kid who sees this movie in the theater and just doesn't understand the significance of the source material or the breadth of its influence, that kid's going to be like, oh, no, man, it kind of felt like everything else I've ever seen. Yeah. It's like my nephew being like, you know they made a whiz with white people in it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I like that though. That's that's a good point. I think if yeah, if I if I were to remove myself and just like what I appreciate about cinema, I can see how this I can see how this film um you know, just doesn't really doesn't really land the profile. You know what I mean? Like the 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 anticipation of it probably weighed a little bit heavier than the delivery of it. Um, but when you couldn't you argue that was one of the reasons why Blade Runner didn't do so well either? You know, a, a, a similar argument of I think Blade Runner mo- didn't do well because that first film bombed. I mean, yeah. it, you know, and you made a direct a direct sequel. To yeah. a movie that that bombed. At least this movie. I mean, because the '84 Dune was a a bomb as well. But at least this movie's like, hey, we know you loved 1984's Dune, <laughs> so <laughs> well, come see this. At well, least this is like a full on, you know, just a, a, a different take on the property. But I I do think it's crazy that they gave this man Denny Villeneuve this much money to make. What is really the most anti-commercialist take on the property that will could have ever have happened? Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so that makes me, but that makes me wonder though, because like, um, what is the play here for Denny? Like, we, you know, uh, Warner Brothers up until this point had Chris Nolan, right? The Chris Nolan, uh, uh, Clint Eastwood. Who else is part of the Warner Brothers machine? This, this is Chandler's department. Anybody else part of the? the those Warner are the ones machine? I know off the top of my head. Okay, Not those are the flagship. But, you know, got J.K. Rowling in the pocket. Got it. So yeah, so, David Yates. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> every now and then he makes a Tarzan film with uh, Alexander Skarsgård between Harry Potters. <laughs> so it just it makes me wonder, like, what's the play here for Denny? Because Arrival was a commercial success. It was a critical success. Um, I did, didn't it, did, did, how did it fare in award season? I can't even remember. It, did it win it anything? Was, yeah, it was nominated for everything, including yeah. Best Picture. Um, I'm looking up the Oscars here now for so, Arrival. Arrival did so many things for me on a messaging level mm-hmm. that, like, and I mean, obviously when you watch it, it's not a super expensive film. Like, you know what I mean? Um, even with the, the CGI of the heptopods and whatnot. And so- mm-hmm. I I really walked into that expecting one thing and got something so much more and so much better. I was going in for like sci-fi goodness and got political messaging. And I think like that is what's happening here too. I just was not keyed into it um, because I'm watching the movie, comparing it to the original, probably Mm -hmm. watching this movie and having never seen the original, I probably would have been way more keyed into the messaging in the moment. I mm-hmm. did some unpacking um, and I I thought it was very interesting how a colonizer can still think of themselves as noble, even though they are coming to like disrupt the lives of the 
indigenous people on this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, I'm going to be a better colonizer than your last one. <laughs> I mean, and I'm going to get thing. you to be on my side. Like, it's like yeah. the French. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a real thing. Yeah. So like, I mean, it is, it's like the French. So mm-hmm. like, um, you know, I, <laughs> the movie's doing a whole lot. Like we're going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to, as your colonizer, come be Jesus. It's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe that's where some of it got lost because he's he's using a flawed story to try to tell a better one. Mm-hmm. But I maybe, like I said, would have been in the moment enjoying that more if I hadn't already seen the original. Well, it's just a shit. It's just a shit show. But I love it, mm-hmm. and I will watch it fifty more times, even though I've seen it fifty <laughs> times, just for the ridiculous aspects of it. You know, it's funny, man. David Lynch is like that, man. I told you, uh, you know, um, Mulholland Drive is, I've seen so many other movies a lot more times, but Mulholland Drive, I've seen it, you know, more than the average movie that I've ever watched. And I still cannot tell you what the movie is about. And it's intriguing to me that like every time I watch it, it's like, all right, I'm going to go on this adventure. Maybe I'll figure it out this time. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't get it. But, you know, I had fun watching it. And, and and I'm trying to figure out, like, what, like, how is he so fucking good at that? Like, how is he so good at just, like, not caring about, you know, any any structured format of what a traditional film should be and still comes out on top? Like, he doesn't give a fuck and he still comes out on top. Like, but, but like I that's compare a special this, trait. I compare this to, like, Belly, where... Mm. Like they just, it felt like, yo, you ran out of time and money. So this is what the fuck you get. <laughs> like there's a whole other part of this that's supposed to be the important part of the story that you're not even seeing mm-hmm. because, you know, things kind of went off the rails. And like, that's what the first one feels like. It feels mm. like the pacing of the movie is really, really strange. The beginning of it does all this world building and the second half of it goes really, really fast. And you're just like, what the fuck is even happening mm-hmm. um and i like i said this this remake fixes a lot of the problems with all the exposition dumps and all these like dialogue heavy situations that are filled with camp and they shouldn't be mm-hmm. um so a lot of the things that i didn't understand in the original that i still i'm, I'm still gonna love it because it's just it's a thing from my childhood you know what i mean right. um but all the things in the original that like it did poorly, this film does successfully fix. He he like fixed a lot of Lynch's missteps. Yeah, and it's Ooh. a way more like fluid movie. Even yeah. though I did have shout out to you, Ryan. I had someone text me today and was like, "Why was the houses fighting?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. So I admit when I watched the first one, I didn't really quite understand why. I I never peeped that there was a a swap out of colonizers, and so I never knew. I I thought the um, a trade Atreides. I thought they were just there the whole time. That's the mm-hmm. way it comes across because you don't go to Kaladin for real. Like you yeah, spend, like, like I just thought they Kaladin. were there the whole time, and I was like, oh oh, and I was like, it made way more sense when I saw the the. I was like, oh that that makes a lot of fucking well, sense. Well, when mm-hmm. you when you when you when you take out the pussy cranks, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just let. <laughs> Leto Atreides just say like this nigga think he's slick. It works so much better <laughs> like, yeah. than, than having the Benny Gesserits like bring the pussy cranks and they just 
say weird things through their pussy mouths. So <laughs> <laughs> through their pussy mouth. Can, can I say? Uh, first off, I just noticed that I was looking at Arrival. And I didn't understand that Bradford Young was the uh, cinematographer on that movie. So that's oh, really yeah. interesting that he's worked with it, the three of the cinematographers that might be like top tier dudes in the industry. For sure. Yeah, um, he's Atlas Lebeski. Right. Uh, so Arrival. Here's the Oscars that Arrival was nominated for. Okay. Uh, best Picture, Directing, Screenplay, Adapted. Uh, cinematography, Editing. And both sound awards and production design, and it got uh, sound editing. Of course, now there's just one sound Oscar, which is easier for everybody to understand. But it only <laughs> won the sound editing award. But still, mm-hmm. it was also, as you mentioned, a like commercial success, right? And uh, going back to Sicario, Sicario was like still like a pretty low profile movie, right? But I think in terms of quote unquote commercial filmmaking, whatever mm-hmm. that means. That's a pretty watchable movie. And my met, my metric for this is like my dad can watch Sicario for and sure. follow it, right? Yeah. My dad would not like this movie. Um, Interesting. And and I I think it's crazy that Denis has shown that he can make something that is paced in a more traditional or watchable pace, right? Mm-hmm. He can make stuff that's really action-packed. I mean, and this movie has quite a bit of action. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. But Some large sequences. After Blade Runner, which was not financially successful, but was so critically acclaimed, mm-hmm. I really respect that Warner Brothers gave him the money and the space. And, and well, I'll get to that in a second, but they, they let him just make the movie how he wanted to make it. This really feels like there was almost no interference from anybody other than the auteur being right. Denny in this case. And I think maybe if there was one note from the studio about this, maybe it was, you got to pack this thing full of the biggest stars in the world <laughs> and as many of them as possible. I mean, because mm-hmm. this thing, the, the, the most commercial aspect of this film is its cast. Mm-hmm. I think everything else is actively challenging to uh, this idea of like the general moviegoer. Mm. The original has a, a shit ton of people in it too. Mm-hmm. Like it does. It like and well, you're younger than us, but like it there is going to be lots of faces that you know. Like I do miss that there's no juice of Sappho I set my mind in motion poem from Pieta. <laughs> so, was that how you say his name, Peter? Pietar or mm. Pietar. I don't know how you say his name. Yeah, I'm, but I, I was I was up I was upset. I was like, did the juice become stains? I set my mind in motion. Like, when do I? No, it's not gonna happen. That was whack. He should have. That was the fan service that I was missing. Can I? think one of the best things about the movie is the continuity of Jason Momoa's beard. <laughs> and it it implies a whole like when he's away he grows the beard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was and like he, he he was. It was the first time I see him close to clean shaven. It was yeah, confused. Well, and face. they ease you into it too because he comes back and he's been gone a long time, so he's got full Momoa beard. Mm-hmm. Then he goes again for like two weeks, right? And he comes back, he's got a little beard, and you're like, oh, that's different. Mm-hmm. But then. I guess every time this character comes back to base, every time Duncan touches home, he's like, well, I got to do a clean shave. Mm-hmm. 
And then he goes, no beard at all. And it was very, I just kept staring at his face. It was crazy. <laughs> but I love that. That's that's maybe the boldest choice that Denis makes in this movie is taking away <laughs> Momoa's beard. I, I, how do you feel about his death scene? I, I felt it was very, uh, there was an old video, Roscoe Jenkins or whatever, when the guy ran in in oh, yeah. World of Warcraft. Uh, Leroy, Leroy, <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. Leroy Jenkins. Yeah. Like, Roscoe like, Jenkins is definitely Martin. I was oh, okay. No, so Leroy, <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. Sorry, nerds. I got it wrong. Uh, Leroy Jenkins. It was this really funny moment in a video game uh, that's played online. Mm-hmm. His death was very like, like, it just felt like, all right, guys. I think I'm going to go die now. <laughs> like, well, I was if, like, I don't know. If you want, remember the original, like Duncan oh, Idaho is yeah. just dead. Like they don't show yeah. you him going out in a blaze of glory. And so if yeah. they're going to take the time to cast Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho, then, you know, we need to see him kick some asses. And if, if we don't have that, he just, you know, we yeah. just, we do, he's like, you know, how it happened before. You see him go off in the battle and the nigga just dead. <laughs> it's like after all of that, like you just go kill him like that. The fight <laughs> scene was cool, but. I I did feel like um and this is it's visually creative and it's very clear and concise and so I don't want to be too harsh on it cuz I'm always asking for those kind of things from movies but the way that they interpret the shields in this movie as like it's almost a little too simple for me visually of like oh blue I'm good blue 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 I'm loving it red Dang man, I said I'm out. And and then they go through like great pains to set up, you know, that you gotta be slow to get through. To make the shield turn red, you gotta go slow. And then Momoa is like killing people with I mean, Yo. he's not going slow, he's going full speed. <laughs> yeah, he was like top, 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 top. And it's like Right, and it just yeah. turns red sometimes. I, yeah. I, and and that's very picky, but I just like the film was violating its own language. One thing I did like is when that that dart is trying to get into Oscar Isaac's back. Yeah. And you understand that it's going to take some time for it to get through the shield, but he like can't reach it. It's like when you're in the shower and you, you got that itch <laughs> and you just can't get to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just wanted to touch on the shield thing. I just thought it was a little bit silly because we're trying to one, another strategy to make this film very, um, to have the chance of making as much money as possible is it's relatively bloodless. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, well, we'll just do like if they see a red flash on the shield, you know, someone died. And then like you don't have to show really any uh, upsetting violence. I mean, there's just not a lot of actual violence in the movie. It's kind of just like people whacking each other with foam swords. Right. Bro, the, if those shields... Please watch the original. Bro. I've seen these those, shields in the original. That, I know what they shit, look that like. Minecraft shit they have on them is weird. It's cool. <laughs> I like it. I was. I. I'm not gonna lie. I. I wanted the shields to be more grand because they were so ridiculous and they turned niggas into Legos. Like you know what? Um, Interstellar, like Tars, and what was the other one called? Oh, the other Tars. The other Tars. Yeah. <laughs> Tars. I can't think of the name. Is it? Nah, never mind. I don't remember. I, I, I don't know. I'll have to look it up. But, like, that's what it remind their shields remind me of those, like, block-ass robot android things. <laughs> there's people in them. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like they encase Case. them in carbonate. Case, Case yes. is the other robot. Case and Tars. Yeah. 
<laughs> Other thing I just I, got tickled thinking of how they like try to run. Are all QB um, and stuff. And then they run. Um, yeah. <laughs> their little feet. One thing that I oh, also noticed, I went, I don't know if y'all remember, but they, they dropped the, the three minute trailer like a year ago, which is very unheard of for usually all trailers are 2.30. Um, I didn't really watch a lot of trailers since then because I I wanted to try the whole like don't watch the trailer thing. You're the fucking trailer man. That had to be hard I, for you, crack at it. It is because I like you know I like a good trailer. So I after I saw it, I went back and watched the three minute trailer. If you haven't seen the movie and you're clearly listening to this podcast for whatever reason, um, don't watch the trailer. It literally tells you the entire film. It it almost from beginning to end, like it's almost in chronological order. <laughs> the entire trailer. Like the trailer ends where the 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 worm comes out and stares at him. Uh, it literally ends with that shot, which is virtually the end of the film. Like the only thing they don't show is the the guy riding the the worm. But you know, I will say you're right that a lot of big cinematic moments were featured uh, in the trailer. Yeah. But as someone who didn't, I didn't know what any of that meant. Yeah. It didn't. I didn't feel like anything was really spoiled for me in that trailer that you're mentioning just because mm-hmm. it was just a bunch of stuff void of context. I'll, I'll give you that because I saw it a year ago and then I also saw it before I saw the the original. Like I hadn't seen yeah. the original. So you're right. It's a bunch of imagery that means nothing. But I was just kind of shocked when I went back and looked. And, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I go back and watch trailers and go, yeah, you guys <coughs> ruined some stuff. But – I mean, it was it's pretty substantial trailer for a majority of the film as a representation. It's, a lot it's, of the TV spots that have been airing, um, and because they did another full theatrical trailer like a month ago in order mm-hmm. to try to drum up more support, and yeah. it's a much more traditional trailer, and they use mm-hmm. like this very uh, inspirational sort of major key like big orchestra to be, make it seem like it's this big Star Wars kind of like. Yeah, we got to save the people, which the movie is not that at all. So it's clearly like someone was like tasked with getting general audiences in to see this movie. But the end of the trailer is that shot of like the, you know, the weird CG, the dream sequence where Chalamet is like seeing himself fighting with the the friend and the uh, the shield comes up. Yeah, which is weird too, because like his body is CG the whole time. So like you got a bunch of real people running around in that scene, and then like yeah. a little CG man doing flips over all of them, <laughs> and then he pulls, yeah. then his hood comes up, and it's like a very poorly comped CG head. Yeah, in the it mask. doesn't match. No, it, it does. It's a bad. I'm like, what is that? The scene you chose to like think, cut I think the they budget on? Finished it. Though. Yeah, it doesn't look finished, Lizzie. You're right. But that has been the end image in the main trailer and in all the TV spots. Has been the visor flipping back, and you see like big headed Chalamet that's poorly comped <laughs> in like yeah. in like every TV spot, and, and that kind of ruined it for me because as soon as that whole dream sequence started, which is one of my favorite scenes in this movie. I was like, oh, okay, I know what's happening. Like, this is that part from the the TV spots. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Christopher Nolan uh, said about this film, it said it's one of the most seamless marriages of live-action photography and computer-generated visual effects that I've seen. And he also said it's a real pleasure and a real gift of film fans everywhere. So the question I have for you, is he being sincere, or is it kind of like when you see your girl with, like, 
her new man and you're just like he's a good dude but at the same time you're kind of like, you're kind of like dissing I wanna, him i want to know has he ever seen jurassic park <laughs> fuck out of here <laughs> i think uh, i think nolan's being genuine i think i think he he i don't know i mean i i don't know the guy and i don't watch any behind the scenes with him i just know he sounds really british yeah. But I, I I would think he'd be humble enough to to respect Denny and respect that you know Denny's doing what Denny's doing and yeah. I mean he really is a master filmmaker I mean all his movies are I mean even go back to Blade Runner the scene where the the hologram and and the woman seem you know in the moment with Ryan Gosling I mean it's just I think he just knows he knows where to push the limits so. yeah, I, yeah sure. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of piggyback off of what Corey's saying, I, I mean, to me, Denny is is one of the only other filmmakers I think that can sit in a room with Nolan and, and and legitimately have a filmography that that uh, has has pretty much the same batting average uh, over almost the same amount of films. You know, if you even go back to like Polytechnique and Incendies and some of you know the the movies before he hit the American scene, uh, Denny has a lot of depth. Like he knows how to handle. He knows how to handle, you know, what everything he's done from Arrival till now lets me know that obviously science fiction and, you know, big scale filmmaking is, you know, at this point he can do it doing jumping jacks, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but before this, there was nothing that he did that gave me the indication that he could handle this, you know, because they, they were so far in a different direction. <clears throat> and um and and because of that, I, I think if you're Nolan, you have to respect that because who who else who else is fucking with you on that level? You know what I mean? Um, so I would imagine that is a genuine comment. I think I think that's why because it's funny he he Denny put in an article recently that he thought his career was over after Blade Runner, and I I think I think that's even though the movie didn't make him I think that's the movie that let the world know that he could do those kind of films. Right. You know, that like they were you know, I, I think the magic of of Blade Runner is the practicality of it and how it's not it doesn't look sound and feel like a typical sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that there's a lot of really well-developed things that are in those films that you know that just really speak a lot and i think that's what's probably going to help propel his career is your handling of these subject matters and they don't look like everything else we've ever seen yeah. i i so. think that denny is also part of the you know there's been this brain trust for the past 8 or 9 years right of chris nolan and it's not i don't think it has to do with film quality but these high-profile directors who have such a huge degree of influence in the industry, um, who Nolan has, like, shouted out on multiple occasions. I'm talking Tarantino, mm-hmm. Spielberg, Zack Snyder is one of those guys. Who, I can see that. I mean, well, they were, they're were they tight anyway for a, a lot of reasons, and they used to work together on the Warner Brothers DC stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think Villeneuve is now in that sector where Nolan is sort of... He's been made the de facto gatekeeper of like, hey, huge scale movies also need to be made by auteurs and they need to be shot on film mm-hmm. and they need to be done practically. And I think that it, I mean he's really taken it upon himself to to place that responsibility on not only him, but his co-workers, as it were. You know, these mm-hmm. other guys making films, even if they're not films like I, I'm sure Christopher Nolan didn't watch 
whatever that zombie movie was called that Snyder did for Netflix recently. I don't even... <laughs> Army of the Dead. Right. But, like, he probably likes that it got made, mm-hmm. right? Because I think he just wants commercial movies to still feel like there's something, there's some sort of heart beating within those movies. And Mm. as much as you can criticize Christopher Nolan's films for being sort of emotionally cold, right? And in some cases like Tenet being intellectually (laughs) dense to the point Mm. where most people are not even able to understand what happened. Ad ad nauseum. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I think Denis is kind of, He's kind of the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. He will spend so much time making sure. I mean, I don't think this film's plot is is hard to follow. I actually think he spends a lot of time on the exposition mm-hmm. and making it pretty digestible. And then he spends way more time than somebody like Nolan does on the tonal aspect and right. just trying to make the emotional goal that he's trying to get you to. Yeah. Uh, making that come through the screen as much as possible. Whereas Nolan is very much about tone, but things are always going to be moving. Well, yeah. that's what I was going to piggyback with the tone is that I think that what Denny has done in the past is I think the way he shoots, the way he edits, he gets you to feel the way the characters feel. You know, you look at Blade Runner and Ryan there's constantly these moments where Ryan feels, I, I think he feels alone and cold and sterile and, and kind of lost. And then, you know, you, you, you take it back to Sicario, you know, the, the driving into Juarez scene, you know, like, or, or the gunfight, that kind of, you feel that tension on the bridge, you know, or, or on the road that they're on. But I think the, the really seal the deal, you need to watch Prisoners. Because I think when you watch Prisoners, you'll feel like someone who's missing their child and you will feel that anger and that confusion that he had, you know? And then also you feel, I think that frustration that Jake Gyllenhaal had trying to solve this case, but yet people are thinking that you're not trying to solve this case, you know? So I think, I think you hit it on the head with that. Like, I think he has done a great job of making you, the viewer feel how these people feel. And the same thing with Arrival too, which I won't go down that road, but that's what I missed in Dune. I don't feel what these characters feel. It just doesn't, it it didn't have that same feeling that I usually get when I connect with his films. Yeah. I mean, when you put it like that, I I, I do kind of get you. There was like a sterileness to this that um, the the rest of his films, you know, uh, tackle a lot better. Um, but to yeah, but to me, it still it didn't miss the mark, man. Oh, you it know, doesn't. I, it's a perfectly great and amazing film. Yeah, so. I, I I I truly my biggest question is just like if you're a studio exec at Warner Brothers, like you know, what does Denny bring to this franchise? To this, you know, to this. You know, to this coveted, you know, probably one of the longest lasting movie studios uh, in American film history. Like, what does he bring to this? Because his, you know, Blade Runner was not a financial success. I don't think, I mean, where does Dune sit right now? I, I wouldn't imagine it, it's going to. So it pulled, it pulled 40 this past weekend, which is actually their highest, Warner's highest opening weekend since the pandemic. And if you remember, now this is like 
a long time ago now, especially in COVID days, but Godzilla <laughs> versus Kong was considered to be pretty successful for Warner Brothers. Mm. Um, and that opened to 32. But wow. here's what's going on financially with the Warner Brothers films. The films that we have seen lately actually do well, like in real numbers, have been the ones that are theatrical exclusives, like Free Guy, mm-hmm. Shang-Chi, that have performed like, like, honestly, like respectably, even if you're balancing them against how movies did before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But the, you can, there's an obvious trend of like when people can watch a movie at home. I mean, just there's not nearly as many people venturing out to see it. And and Warner Brothers has said that the and they've given no hard figures on this, but they've said that like the viewership on HBO Max actually seems to have a pretty direct relationship with how the movie does box office wise. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of people watched Godzilla v Kong at home, and a lot of people watched it in the theater. Right, and then there was other movies, uh, well, like uh, I mean, this is a bad example, but it's just another Warner Brothers film. But like for the, for those who wish me dead or whatever with Angelina mm-hmm. Jolie, mm-hmm. did terrible at the box office, and like not very many people watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, so forty million dollars over the weekend is pretty good. It's the best they've done so far. Right, that would seem to imply that a lot of people have hit play on it on HBO Max. Probably, I would imagine. But see, but that th- th- that further confuses me though, because I feel like this. I feel like Dune, especially given you know some of the, the analytics that you just gave, I would imagine that Dune was the fucking big Joker for this year. Like so, like like why give it away to HBO Max in you know p- paralleling box office. Uh, so, well, here's what you got to understand is that this decision wasn't made by, you know, the head of the Warner Brothers film studio. This was made by the parent company, Warner Media, AT&T. Got it. They and, have a different agenda. Yes. The agenda yeah. was we need to have a strong launch for HBO Max. Mm-hmm. And so we're just going to throw all the money at the app and save it this year's whole – I mean – Think about this. Think about the money they're going to lose on the Matrix 4. Oh, my God. That trailer broke every trailer record imaginable. And it's coming out over the holidays where people are already going to be with their family. You might see an even larger percentage of people who will just watch it at home because it's it's coming out over, like, the Christmas week. So it's definitely a, a questionable decision. And... It does put Dune in this position where, like, us at home watching the race, mm-hmm. we have no way to gauge how well the movie's doing. And and I was kind of worried. You know, I was hoping that, as much as I love Blade Runner 2049, I was hoping that this movie would be a very digestible movie for general audiences mm-hmm. and that it would be this big thing. Because it it's and it's it's been happening in the reviews now. You know, top tier critics are saying, "Oh, this is the next Star Wars. This is the next Lord of the Rings." I don't think it's gonna. It, it's not. It's not watchable in that way to a normal person. I mean, it's it's just not. It's the same way that I think Tenet kind of hit real hard in the in the film nerd. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? The demographic. Yeah, demographic. Right. Yeah. And, and that's exactly where Dune will succeed, but. I mean, this it's it's really not a commercial film, and and it's like I'm worried. I'm yeah. worried. I mean, I think they're gonna make the sequel. Oh, of course, you got to. You're, you're yeah, too invested. You got to. Yeah, but um, it's not gonna be. It's it's. 
I, I, it's hard to imagine that the top guys at at Warner are like out of the park thrilled with this, right? Like they're probably okay. Yeah, it did pretty good. And I just, I that's again what I was trying to say earlier. Like I think it's insane that you have Blade Runner, which did how it did, uh-huh. and then they gave him so much money and so many huge stars to do this film, uh-huh. and he arguably leans even more into like tone poem stuff and like really slow challenging pace and just it's there's a big barrier of entry to this movie yeah. he, he and it's he, an, it's an insane thing to witness happen he makes art he makes art house films on blockbuster budgets that right. is what it, the fuck is happening and it's it's baffling me because that goes against everything that i thought you know uh hollywood t- today modern hollywood stands for you know it's 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 box office or bust. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so it's an yeah, anomaly, it's, man, especially really in the pandemic. It's like, it's really a, how did this get made situation? And, and I'm happy that it, it, it does exist, but I'm, right. I'm baffled by it. And I, I don't really understand it. Cause even Nolan, even Nolan makes blockbuster films, right? You know what I mean? And this yeah. does not feel like that. It does feel like a, a independent film that costs $250 million. Exactly. Exactly, the integrity is 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 there in that way. Let's um, did, we did we talked none about performances. What where where did y'all stand with this? Like, how did y'all stand with Timmy? I love Timmy Chalamet, so I feel like anything that I say is going to be very biased. Um, I think he, I th- I do I do think he is a full fledged movie star, but I I I'm very intrigued by the choices that he makes. And the properties that he picks, because he's kind of like Denny in that way, too, where I'm sure he could perform on whatever level, like, you know, the Brad Pitts and people of of that world stepped into. But he chooses not to. It's like he uses his powers for a different reason. Um, I actually think you're really right on there with the Brad Pitt thing. I mean, young Brad Pitt did a lot of like very dramatic stuff before he kind of became the... uh, Ad Astra guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like before he was like the, the marquee idol. I mean, he was doing like kind of experimental, quiet, dramatic roles. That's very true. That is very true. You and that, like that, I think that's and... exactly the zone that Chalamet is in right now. Yeah. He's he's the shit to me. But yeah, where, where did y'all stand with performances? Uh, I would say that he is more so trying to follow the arc of a Leo. But like, what do I know? Um, <laughs> mm, okay. Interesting. Um, he's he's got this like man child quality about him that creeps mm-hmm. me out, and I am. <laughs> <laughs> I what am do you gonna... mean? Can you elaborate on that? He's a grown ass man that looks five, and it's weird. And I like I feel like if Timmy Chalamet like worked at the grocery store, I'd be like, what the fuck? So <laughs> I think it's endearing because he's an actor and he plays younger than he is. But like in real life, he's got like a. Andy Milanakis quality about him. So I mean, he's twenty. He's twenty six. I mean, he's right. not. A, I mean, I mean that's still young. Yeah. I would but consider that young. Fourteen. So yeah. it's weird. I'm um, twenty seven, and I look like I look like I could be his dad. You do, <laughs> <laughs> especially like with the hair. <laughs> so <laughs> that's your thing. Um, I I'm not I'm not mad at it. Um. I just don't know that I believe that he's going to kick a bunch of people's asses. That's the thing. In the sequel. Like, yeah. that's, but I would like, say he didn't he's bulk, perfectly... Go ahead. He Go ahead. didn't bulk up at all. Like, 
so we see like Jason Momoa's kicking asses. Mm-hmm. We we see that uh Thanos. Why can I not think of Josh, Josh Brolin? Brolin. Josh, yeah, Bro- jo- Josh Brolin. I completely uh, like believe is he's gonna. I mean, we know what happens. He's gonna kick some asses. I mm. like Timmy Chalamet. I mean, Kyle MacLachlan rolling up next to Patrick Stewart. I believe Kyle MacLachlan can whoop your ass. Like I Timmy don't know, Chalamet man. Kyle. Like I was gonna up. say Kyle looked just as scrawny. Yeah. And he looked young. just like. It's almost like they cast Chalamet to look exactly like Kyle MacLachlan. They re- they yeah. look exactly the same. They but look scrawny, no. big, big floppy like hair. His, yes, yeah. but Kyle MacLachlan still looked like a grown ass man. He did not I don't look think like a so. four. He did to me. He didn't <laughs> look like a fourteen year old. But you were younger playing. back then. He's. I watched the fucking movie six months ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> like for the so, first time. No. <laughs> For like the seventeenth time. Sure, but there's nostalgia goggles with that kind of thing. Yeah. I I think that I know what a grown man looks like. I'm forty years old. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, Kyle Kyle don't. He looked just as as un unable to perform. You know the task yeah, at hand. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do follow what Lizzie's saying though. You know, uh, I mean, I think they, they they obviously leaned into it. You know, they had the joke where, you know, Momo was like, hey, you look like you put on some muscle. He was like, right. yeah, you think? he's like, nah, <laughs> you know, they leaned into that. So, I, you know, um, it, he's you know, very I, dull in this movie. I think he's just not doing a lot. Yeah. I mean, and I'm a huge Chalamet fan, too. But I mean, Treasy, did, since he's your boy and everything, like. I mean, and I love him. I love him so much. And he smolders like no other man, child, boy, man has ever smoldered. Don't be disrespecting Leo like this. I'll fight but, you. But there is, I just, his character is very, I think he's he's kind of nondescript. Other than like how beautiful Timothy Chalamet is, I don't feel like there's a lot going on with Paul in this movie. And he's just very quiet. I mean, even his line delivery is very flat. And they pl- they play yeah. him as very fragile in this version. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't have, like, any bravado. And that's another reason why I'm kind of like, I don't believe you finna kick nobody's ass. Like, you're not strapped yet? Like, what's good? <laughs> like, I see, just don't. He just doesn't. The, don't I'm know. sorry to cut you off. The See, the vibe that I got from the performance that he was given um, was a lot more like, like a like a very spongy quality to it you know like um um he took in a lot of information and that's what i gathered a a lot like everything everything felt very important every every piece of information that he was getting felt very important even when he was challenging it you know like the you know the scene the what's in the box scene which i'm i'm thoroughly convinced now that what's in the box came from came from this was inspired by this um but uh by dune but but that whole performance the uh, you know nothing was in the box right but like he wore the performance so well on his face Uh, face yeah he's uh, and i feel like that's what that's what he bought to this it was just this very quiet sponge-like you know, I'm going to take in all the information I need to achieve, you know, whatever this character is, man. And that and that's what I took from it. it I mean, it wasn't like a, the, the performance was was very I don't think it was underplayed. I don't think it was overplayed. I, I think it was I think he knew exactly what this character was, man. And and 
I, I don't know. I enjoyed it, man. But like I said, I, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be biased regardless because I think the kid is fucking amazing. You know what I mean? Um, I I, I mean I I get I, I totally agree on the physical level. Like yeah, get get the fuck out of here. There's no way. You know, like uh, but just on an emotional level, I feel like I connected with this character. Um, and he knew and he just knew exactly what what you know. In terms of, you know, Timmy knew exactly what he was playing in this particular film. Uh, and that's just where I stand with it. But Martin, you, you've been curiously quiet over oh, there. Yeah. Martin over I'm there playing Candy to, Crush. I'm trying to look up a name. Uh, but the when I first saw Tim Lee, Timothy Chalamet in this uh, movie, in the trailer, I was thinking, like, I kind of wanted the dude from Maze wanting to play Paul. I, I liked him as an actor a lot. I'm Dylan O'Brien? Is that yeah, his name? Dylan O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, oh. Dylan O'Brien. I think he would make a good Paul because he got personality. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Chalamet is kind of just like giving you the same face most of the movie. What? Even when well, he, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. That kid can't be in a movie about the like the uh, the revolution of indigenous people, considering mm-hmm. his personal history. Oh, really? What's his personal history? You don't remember, like, when they made Maze Runner, they, like, stole some shit from some, like, native, um, I don't know. I didn't even know that. Yeah, and then they all got incredibly fucking sick. Wow. Oh, wow. Wait, that happened in the movie or that? No, that happened on, like, while they were, there was was some place that was sacred that they weren't supposed to go because it was, like, indigenous, and they went anyway, and then they all got incredibly sick. Mm. So oh, like, okay. yeah, you got to cross him off the list. They got to yeah. rip. I don't know. I I think I think Dylan O'Brien's a really terrible actor. I agree. So, uh, yeah. I I would. I've have. never seen him in anything, but I I mean I've never heard of like, dang Dylan O'Brien really killed him in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I might have taken Lucas Hedges for this one. We seem to have fallen out of love with him. Um, it was I him love and Timmy, Lucas. and then Lucas yeah, I is like, like Lucas Hedges too. He's cool, I man. love Lucas Hedges. Yeah, I do but too, I, but like, where did he go? He's not a kid anymore, and we don't care about his face. Like, does what? he use? He I, was on the I, premise I, actually this this oh, year. Well, there we go. I think Lucas Hedges might be using they pronouns now. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, oh, really? I, okay, it's worth looking into. Yeah, that the last things. Uh, I don't know. He seems. He seems to. Or they. I'm. I'm not sure. I haven't looked it up, but they. Uh, They've been uh, cited out, and they they seem to be doing some, uh, you know, engaging in uh, embracing a, a, a gender non-binary identity. I don't know. That's just I what mean, these photos look like. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Well, I have to look. I know Ezra Miller uses they pronouns, but he he also accepts he. So I don't know. I yeah, I'm. I mean, what's uh, Lucas Hedges? I feel like I haven't seen him in anything in a long, long time. Well, I guess I watched the, is the last thing I can recall. Hmm? Waves is the last thing I can recall. With That's Lucas the last Hedges. thing I remember seeing yeah. them into before what Martin mentioned. Yeah. Um, Side how- note, oh, good. You there? Yeah, but go ahead. Oh, cause I'm with oh I was characters. gonna say, did y'all? Um, <laughs> do you think they downplayed the blue eyes? I, I know y'all haven't seen the original, but the sci-fi joint, them joints are glowing <laughs> yeah. profusely. I, I don't know. There was a part of me wanted the eyes to be a little bluer. Oh, I, mm. I, I could have done less blue than even this movie goes. I, Interesting. It, it looks like one of the first like CG effects that has ever been created. I just oh, don't yeah. think there's like a convincing way to make someone's eyes blue. 
Oh, well, you got to see the original then. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen footage. You guys are yeah. killing me. I'm gonna lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> I've seen stuff from the original. I know what Kyle McLaughlin looked like. I know Patrick Stewart was in it. I know the worms. I know enough about. I've seen the Lego shields. Okay, and I've okay. seen right. the blue okay, eyes. Okay, okay, okay. I just okay. So I don't know. I, I just <laughs> I felt like uh, I felt like we could have we could have done a little bit more with the blue eyes. I thought I thought that would have been fun. I do but. like that they ex- they explain the suits because you don't know why they're there. You just like you guys just got shit stuck up your nose. Cool. Like uh, <laughs> oh no, they they explain it in the the original too. They explain it Not, what the suit. I don't remember that. I just remember it. They Mind do. you, they, like I be falling asleep, but no, I can't they they actually they times. they explain it in the original. Um, the the interesting fact is in the remake they don't explain the nose, but they explain the suit. In the original, they ex, they explain everything. Yeah. So, how did you feel about Stellan Skarsgård? As Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. So my so <laughs> best my, performance in the movie. He's dope. He's, my, a, he's always been a dope dope actor, in my he, opinion. He's so. good. My I had a disappointment with Baron because in, in the first one, I was like, he's way more disgusting looking, feeling. He's repulsive. He is. And 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 this they didn't they didn't bring that to it. But you know, um, Maybe but, you know, second. regardless yeah. of that, man, he he definitely it, it was still a really good performance. I mean, I, Stellan Skarsgård never misses. Right, he doesn't miss, but Baron Harkonnen. So, mind you, like Kenneth McMillan in the original is swinging for the fucking fences, mm-hmm. and he's very grotesque and disturbing to look at. Um, the scene where like they bleed that boy, and he's just looking at him like he wants to eat him, makes mm-hmm. me want to jump out of my fucking skin. Mm-hmm. It is homophobic. But it's disturbing. It's very disturbing. And Stellan Skarsgård obviously is not swinging for the fences. That's not his style. But <sighs> him flying isn't is it I mean it's not as cartoonish. But they right. they blur it so you don't really see it as that, much. That I loved that about it. I thought that was so scary how most of the time when he's floating, he's out of focus or he's in the deep background. I, I yeah. love that. I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I've also seen the uh, images of the original Baron Harkonnen. That motherfucker was so ugly. Him coming I, at you real fast was scary, too. <laughs> I also thought that Skarsgård was disgusting in this movie I, in a different way. I mean, it's not as physically grotesque, but... I found him to be very, very scary and intimidating, and I think a lot of that is how he's framed within camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that scene where he's talking with uh, David Desmalchin, and at the end he like levitates real high. It's like the only time you ever see him levitate in focus. Um, it, oh, I mean, it just creeped me out so much. I don't really know this guy's whole deal, but I was into it. And the oil bath was like super gross and. I loved all. Yeah, that pet, did, that pet spider was terrifying, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. The uh, g- can we talk about um, just like honorable mention? Uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson gets a big old role in this movie, and I was just like so happy. Uh, was that the yeah. polka dot guy from Suicide Squad? Or no, or that's no. David Desmalchin, and he's. Oh. He's good too. He's also in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. 
Yeah. Stephen McKinley Henderson, he is famous for being on stage in a lot of August Wilson plays. Right. And yeah. he only recently started like breaking oh, out yeah. in, in he films. Yeah, he was in yeah. devs, right? Yeah, yeah he was yeah. in devs. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. in fences. I feel yeah. like I've been seeing him all over the place post him being in fences. In like fences. I see him everywhere yeah. now. Agreed. Amazing um, actor, man. Yeah, he is dope. Yeah. I love that he's working this much in the, Me in the autumn of his life. Yeah. Dude, and I'm like, this is a cool role in this movie. Like, he gets to do some business. He gets to be stern. He gets to show some emotion. Like, he gets a big role here. And I was just, I was like, dang, I hope something that good happens to me toward the end of my life, man. Right. Yeah, because because really, man, these roles that he's showing up in, I mean, you know, just, uh, I just feel like traditionally they would, they, I can't see anybody saying, I want him for that role. It's, it's, it. Like he doesn't fit that role that he plays in. in what's his name? Thefer? What's his name in this? Ugh, beats me. Yeah, yeah beats I don't know anybody's name or anything's name. There's a lot of names. Yeah, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of shit. But well, he, I think that's one of the strengths of Denny. Like, I think Denny knows how to pick the his dream team. Like, right. I, I've just noticed that when you see a Denny film, it's like. If they're not the best, because Anna de Armas is not a great actress, Mm-mm. but what? she's gr- yeah. Are you kidding, uh, Corey? Yeah, did you see Bond, bro? Log ha- out I- of the Zoom, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry, I haven't seen her body of work. I apologize. Have Hold I just- on, Anna de Armas is a good actress to y'all. Yes, uh, she killed No Time to Die. Actually. Have you okay, not so seen Knives Out, guys, guys? I've seen Knives I ain't seen, Out. Knives Out is pretty good too. But yeah. it didn't. Her I performance didn't it. blow me away. And she's great in Blade Runner. Are you kidding me? I was about to say she's really good in Blade Runner, but I mean, you guys you just ganged up. You guys are really aggressive. I, 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 yeah, I agree. I, I don't think she's good. I, you, this this she's rising pretty. up out of the chair, it don't warrant that. I'll tell you that. Like the posture that you got, Chandler, her acting hair, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have <laughs> the house on I'm just, it, okay? okay, but like what performances did you see from her okay, that I admit, were like, oh, these, this, she's terrible? Did you see Knock Knock? I didn't knock, like knock. her in Knives Out. Yeah, knock, yeah, Knives Out didn't blow me away. Did you see Knock Knock? Oh, the, that the, is the, she's uh, awful in that. Eli I love the, the pizza monologue. That's one of the greatest scenes in all of cinema. Uh, no, you know what man. I'm talking about. She's yeah, not particularly good in Blade Runner to me either. I she's don't. Just, so my point was I'm that is like I don't think she was. I think she's good in Blade Runner. I think he he casted that role very well. I think she does decent for that role. She's um, doing sexy Latin girl. It's very stereotypical. Exactly. I, I so mean, yes, she's Sophia doing sexy Bergara Latin girl. It would have been fine. Like, so I think saying. she was casted very well. I mean, if she has a good body of work, I'll go check it out. I'm more than happy to bring back my findings. Um, but I didn't find that her acting was really what stood out. I think she was casted very well for a role. And I think Denny is just good at that. I think Denny knows how to place the right people in the right places. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Was she in this film and I missed her or something? No, she was no. Blade Runner. I'm oh, okay. just talking, talking about, about oh, I'm talking about Denny and his, his abilities to cast. I think everybody is very, like he puts the right person in every role in his films. Yeah. I, I appreciated Oscar Isis as a, as Duke Leto. I thought he was pretty good. I never, good. I can't think of a situation other than um, scenes from a marriage where he's playing a father, but you know, he's playing a father to a very young child there. He's and not, I, I haven't seen him it. play a father very much, but he's always daddy. All right. <laughs> this is about things that Zoomers think... say. So, <laughs> are you sure All you're right. a millennial, bro? <laughs> Oscar Isaac is dope. I think he's one of the most underrated 
actors of our time, but I think it's um, hard to say underrated at this point. I know. I, I yeah, he might just be rated. So. Yeah. I think he Dave Bautista was miscast, kind of. I agree. He's when he when he yells, he's just like Drax. He, I just yeah. like it's the same <laughs> as when he yells as Drax because he had a, such a great. Funny. He has such a great scene in Blade One in twenty forty nine in the right. opening, yeah. but here they didn't really give him anything to do. Really, I don't that, think he got the opportunity to shine in Dune, and I'm hoping in the second part he yeah. will. He yeah, will. that character doesn't talk in the original. It's fucking Bluto from Popeye, and all he does mm-hmm. is smile and just be creepy. He doesn't even fucking talk. I mean, I'm sure he'll be better in the sequel, but it is like that Blade Runner performance is responsible for everything in his career that happened afterward. Like, I mean, he shines so much. And I mean, he popped off of that so hard that he started getting all these other huge roles. Um, And yeah, in this movie, he's just, it's like, oh, it's Batista. Cool, man. (laughs) Um, Zendaya as Chani, like, I was Mm. expecting them to give her more to do. I can't get a read on the tonality of Chani. Like, she... She doesn't have a whole lot going on in the right. previous iteration, so she just is. He's just like dreaming about her, and she's pretty. But mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, they gave her more to do in this so far, but I still can't get a read on like what that character is supposed to feel like. Can I tell y'all what happened? When so, I was not in a very crowded theater when I saw this, but there was like a group of three, uh, like barely sixteen year olds, <laughs> to the side of me, and. They were like whispering, I mean, just the entire movie, and it was very frustrating. But in my, the older I get, the less I'm trying to like openly confront people in the theater because even if you do that, because <laughs> every time you do it, you're like, I got to say something to these people, right? But then it all it does is ruin the rest of the movie for you and for them. For them, yeah. And it just like, because you don't, you don't do it and then you feel like, oh, what a burden off my back. Then you do it and you're like, your heart's beating fast and you're like, is this person, you're like, oh, these two boys are definitely stronger than me. Are they going to try to fight me after the theater? So, That's so funny. Um, but anyway, they're whispering the whole time and I could hear them like, one of them who is probably like the dork of the group who dragged the other two uh, was like explaining basic plot mechanics the whole time. You know, I heard him saying, like, you know, Spice, you know, and Harkonnen and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) And so the movie is structured such as that you see a lot of Zendaya, or Zendaya, excuse me, the whole movie. You see her a lot, but, you know, she doesn't actually enter the the scene until uh, the last, like, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a reveal when she enters the film. Real, you hear her voice, and then we just cut to her. Mm-hmm. And in between the second and a half, between when you hear her first line of dialogue, and then we cut to her, I heard the the kid. He nodded, and he went, "That's Zendaya." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "No bro, shit!" Everybody in the whole theater understood <laughs> that yeah. it was Zendaya. It was her. Wow, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. good times. Yeah, how how they um. You know how she was utilized, man. I, I, you know, obviously, I thought there was going to be a lot more. Her presence was 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 going to be a lot heavier into it, especially considering the star that she is. Um, and, and that, to me, that was bold too. You know, as a uh, just a bold decision. Obviously, that's probably more predicated by the 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 screenplay than um, the directing. But yeah, it was just that. Was, I, I thought I was going to see her more, and, and I, it, I knew we weren't going to see her. I actually didn't expect us to see her as much as we as we did. I just don't know 
I don't know what I don't know what the tonality of that character is supposed to be. I did enjoy the tonality of Javier Bardem. <laughs> Him coming yeah. in for comic relief was un, un unexpected and yeah. quite welcome when it happened. I was like, oh, here's the funny part. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he comes in with a very laissez-faire like Everyone else is very stoic, and yes, this is a big, expensive movie that's beautiful. And then he just comes in like, "Hey, what's up, guys? You know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm here to shoot for two days. I'm trying to go home, uh, but it's great. It's welcome." Right. Where did they film this at? A lot of places. I I think the desert stuff is Abu Dhabi, which is, uh, I guess, most notable for being where they shot The Force Awakens six mm. years ago. Um, that's like the hot desert spot now. If that you're going to do right. desert stuff, and then they shot in, I think they shot in a couple European countries. But I mean, it's a lot of on location stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what's up, man. Yeah, very big in scale. This film, man. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Um, um, was there any at any point? Did you guys think this would be better in another medium, like a uh, TV? I mean, for me, absolutely not. I think. <laughs> oh, really? It's coming though. Yeah, yeah, they, it's a prequel doing... show, isn't it? The uh-huh. Benny Jesuit, whatever. Uh, oh, this one coming to HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, no, I, I think the sci-fi series, which I never saw, it, the, from what I've seen screens, it looks pretty terrible. So I'm sure that they wanted to just go full, full TV, um, full movie on it. I bet James McAvoy wishes he never did that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Who is he in it? He's in the sequel, Children of Dune. He's Paul's son. Oh, okay. That's fun. (laughs) That's got to be a good feeling and a bad feeling that it took like fucking 40 years of just mishaps to get get this done and get it done right, you know? That's got to be an interesting feeling. I mean, I I would consider this film overall to be a success, you know? I mean, it's definitely definitely a mixed bag, but... It's not bad. I mean, I, I think my only real disappointment was that I just didn't come out of it feeling like my life had changed like I felt when I had come out of uh, Blade Runner 2049. But I mm. still really enjoyed the movie. I think there's a lot to chew on thematically. It's got good performances. Um, I mean, and just visually and, and the whole tone poem thing that we've been talking about is fun to sit through. And I think – Personally, I can probably grow to love it more on repeat viewings, and I'm going to test that theory for sure. Like, I want to see it in IMAX, and then I, just to boost the numbers to make sure we get part two, I'll probably watch it on HBO Max as well. Also, right. anyone who's, I mean, I'm assuming most of our listeners are local, they are showing this at the Narrow in Norfolk, which is really mm-hmm. not normal. You don't see a lot of like mm-hmm. studio films come through the Narrow. So. Go see it there and support a small business. That's That's surprising and unsurprising at the same time because I feel like a screening of the David Lynch version of that movie would fucking sell out at the Narrow. Oh, it totally would. Flick it Friday, it would. They're they're playing Clue again. And I just went, me and Jesse went to see Clue like a year, what? Well, it's been like two years now. Mm -hmm. Curious about Clue. What ending did they play when you saw it? Miss Scarlet. I was pissed. Were they changing the endings, uh, like for different screenings, or what? Did they just show like one? And they it was only a showed. They only showed one. But when you when you watch that one, you don't get the metal and con flames on the side of my face. Like I was pissed because like that's a moment and you don't mm-hmm. get it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, Clue's kind of a bad movie anyway, so that's all hey. right. Hey, 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 hey. I have never seen it. Don't. I, uh, don't watch it. Doesn't shock me. Don't do it's it. Bad. Don't do – no, Clue's so one of my favorite movies. I can probably, like, follow – Seventy percent of the dialogue. You should. I'm shouting. I'm shouting. You should definitely watch Clue. You said it's your favorite movie, but I can't watch it. I don't know what to do. No, she didn't say don't. She was saying. Uh, I I was telling him don't come for Clue. Clue's in my top five. We've discussed Uh, how I'm blackity black black, but my top five has (laughs) one black movie. Gosh, the IMDb trivia is like really long. I have to like scroll and scroll and scroll. On Clue or on Dune? On Clue. Yeah, Clue's Clue's an amazing. I love Clue. It's a very fun movie. I mean, if you if you if you watch Knives Out, you know, and you enjoy Knives Out, then I haven't seen Knives Out either. Knives Out's a fun ride. It is murder. If you like like Poirot, uh, Hercule Poirot, like Murder on the Orient Express, like all that shit, you'll love Clue. Like Clue's great. I ain't seen none of that shit either. The, ge- the genius of Tim Curry. Yeah, so you sound like me when it comes to the Star Wars now. You know, just- no, you're, Campus you're in that. Christopher Lloyd. You're extra, extra difficult when it comes to Star Wars and fantasy. <laughs> I am. And I'm honestly, still. movies in general, because um, we've had this talk where you listen to movies. Um, no, I've, hey, I've gotten um, better. Chandler, um, did... <laughs> Hey, at your screening, <laughs> at the end of at the end of your screening, was anybody angry? Like, uh, like they didn't they thought this was gonna be like the whole story of Dune? Like, were they? Because I, I watched the um Green Knight and a dude walked out. He was like, he he told the uh attendant, he was like, that was a piece of shit. <laughs> but, yeah, I think I, I so that's an interesting point. I somehow there seem to be like people who walk into every a 24 film thinking it's going to be like a conventional uh, film going experience. And that yeah. is always entertaining. Cause I think people should know what to expect at this point. Um, I, this was a small crowd on a Sunday evening of maybe 20 to 30 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really quiet group except for the teens who were whispering the whole time. Mm-hmm. But um, Spice. I didn't detect. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny though is in the original, fucking the whole time, Kyle McLaughlin is whispering in your fucking ear like that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he was trying to replicate that experience for his I buddies. Think, I think so. Um, but yeah, no, I, I didn't detect any frustration. Um, but it was just kind of like a lot of people stayed till the end of the credits, which, uh, so I think I was, I had the fortune of being with like a pretty respectful or at least, uh, interested audience maybe a little bit more tuned in um, but i could definitely say like if you went to a friday night screening of this at the end you'd have like you know somebody who like is just the kind of person that leaves their popcorn on the floor in the theater they'd be like what was that <laughs> that's funny my friend ryan texted me the same one that was confused he was like i didn't know i was getting into a definite sequel and i was think i was trying not to be a dick but i was thinking like dude the title graphic said part one <laughs> like, yeah, but to be fair, it doesn't say that, that until on screen. Like none of the marketing lets on that it's a part one. I, but you know I mean, IMDb said like really early they were shooting this shit in two parts. It was yes, like, oh, yeah, okay, yes, but let's okay, let's not pretend that person, that normal viewers are like doing research or know anything at all about the development of a film. It, when the film, the poster, and the trailer, and everything just says Dune, I think it's fair to go in and when it says Dune Part One, you'd be like, what? Well, I just think though, too, it. it I get really confused because, like, some people really do. They get really mad. And I'm like, I don't get it. It's like 
I mean, there's more awesomeness coming. Like, just Let me, calm down. Let me explain like, this to you. The, the entitlement of the modern-day viewer is 100% yeah. tied to the – it's tied to the internet. It's tied to this culture of uh, – especially, like, with Marvel movies, you see this. Like, films are, to many people now, they're just a list of bullet points of things that happen. So – Things like the quality of performance or direction or vision or, or any sort of artistic lens doesn't matter at all. Like, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see Spider-Man 3, and I definitely want to see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield come back, which is going to happen. But there are people who that's all the movie is, you know what I mean? And they will judge the movie based on, like, how, do, how well does it do that? And so that's why, <laughs> to tie it back to what we were saying, like, I think so many more people are starting to view films like that. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes plays a big role in that, even though Rotten Tomatoes is not evil. Modern viewers are are entitled, man. And I've I've watched a lot of movies where I've not enjoyed myself. But I rarely will leave the theater angry. I mean, at the end of the day, I still got to watch a movie. That's a pretty good day. Yeah, and like understand it's like TV shows are like that. You you watch your 30 minutes, you watch your one hour, and then, you know, I guess it's because you know that you're going to get your next fix a week later. Right. But I, I do think it's very strange when people get very upset. And I'm like, they're going to make another one. It's going to come back. Just fucking wait. And, like, enjoy the experience that you, you got versus the experience we got in the 80s where they clearly should have made two movies. You know, so like it, it just kind of frustrates me. Yeah, mm. yeah, I'm not mad at that. I, I would imagine at two and a half hours, though, maybe you're just happy to get the experience over, and you don't give a fuck <laughs> what comes next. You I know? like movies at two and a half hours. I, I, I think a lot of a lot more movies should be two and a half hours. I'm I, a fan. I, think it's a, I patently disagree with you. Yeah, I, I literally just a, watched The Last Duel today. It was like two and a half hours. Oh well, yeah. I don't need to see but The it, Last. It was duel. actually a pretty I, good movie. I can't wait to see The Last Duel, Martin. We got to talk separately about. The last door. I, I cannot yeah. wait to see it. I'm so excited. I don't know, man. Blade Runner's two and a half. Minority Report is two and a half. There's a lot of, there's a James Bond that's two and a half that's really dope. Like, I don't know, man. I just, there's some really good two and a half hour movies. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> that's a ludicrous <laughs> argument. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the Godfathers. Yeah. yeah like, for, so your argument for what films runtimes should be is that there are good movies <laughs> that are two and a half hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, is that yes. not your argument for why they should be 90 minutes? I think it's a little Ooh. more nuanced than that. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. you know, my, my thing is, my thing is, you know, dollar cost averaging. You know what I mean? Like you're paying ten dollars and get two and a half, two and a half hour movie experience. You know what I mean? You got it at a cheaper share. Every minute came at a cheaper share. Word. So, yeah. Um, but all right. Well, I think that uh, that can we? That so, can be. someone read my goddamn joke that I put in the the chat? Why didn't you just say it? <laughs> yeah. Now because it's I wanted someone else to say it. Is it, At first, I thought you said Zoom, so I was like, I didn't get the joke because my computer is too far back, so I couldn't really read. So Chandler puts in, he puts in this group chat on Zoom. See, uh, the sequel should be called Tune. With the number two. I read it as tune, like how tune, yeah. like, yeah. like how number two instead of the D. Yeah. 
It looks oh cool, God. though, doesn't it? Look at it. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. It definitely looks like a streaming service, but, you know, like a music streaming service. You know? <laughs> but I, I like where you're going with it. I, I will I will say, I'm going to say this, and then I, I'm, I am completely done. Just like the like the typography of Doom, you know, with like the basically the horseshoes mm-hmm. at every position. And then the oh. E has like a an, an eclipse image forming the a lens flare that is the middle spire of the E. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I I, I thought that was really really dope type, typography for uh you know for this particular film. So, uh, anything else you guys want to cover? Or is that, um, is that well, well, Corey uh, Lizzy and Treasy. Um, if this film doesn't well, not do Neil well. Well, if this film, well, it's because you guys know, right? Like, if this film doesn't do well and the second half is supposed to have, like, a lot of action and a lot of set pieces and stuff, like, and they decide to drop the budget, like, what what do you think is going to happen? They can't. They just can't? They're just going to have to drop another 250 mil or more? Or more. It's To cover all that stuff, yeah. So, I really have faith in him that he's going to... A lot happens in the second half of the movie that is extremely interesting. It's just that David Lynch kind of it crammed it, it in there. He crammed yeah. it in Lynch there, did. and so much of it was like so much time passed by, and they fell in love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you just yeah. see them like you see Sean Young and Kamala like kissing, and it's like yeah. look, they're in love. So I think I was texting the y'all baby like grew and grew. There's and absolutely like, no sense of pace on the second one. It's just none. like. It's just like there's a cut and then someone starts talking and then there's a cut and there's another scene and it's just like it just moves. <laughs> it yeah. just, it mo- there's no like slow moment where the camera swoops over the dunes and no, it's like, like it's like talking, 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 cut, talking, talking, <laughs> talking, cut, talk. Yeah, it just moves. Yeah. That what was phase. weird to me is like the first five times I watched it, I was like, oh, we're just calling this nigga a different name now. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> Maldib, and I'm like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so much happens. It it'd be, I think it'd be fucking hilarious if Denny just like he just like broke out on the sequel. Like he was like, fuck it. I'm not doing the sequel. I need him back. <laughs> that would be hilarious. They haven't. So from what I understand, they haven't greenlit it. And I didn't realize that. I thought that they were shooting it all at one time, like Deathly Hallows uh, and just releasing it separate, yeah, which is why it was scary. taking 50 years for them to make it. So it's disappointing to me that they didn't do that. Yeah. I think that's a way to just in case this one was a total bomb. Mm-hmm. It's a way to hedge your bets, right? Like Justin, and I and I think it's already proven that it's not a total bomb. Even though, with all of the Warner Brothers releases from this year, the week to week drop has been like substantial. Like a normal box office trend is like week to week you lose about fifty percent of your income. Like so, you know, on a pretty straight, you know, downward mm-hmm. curve. And because so many people. Basically, like, the people who want to see it in theaters are watching it, like, the first or second weekend, and then everyone else is watching it on HBO Max. Like, every Warner Brothers film this year has just had a tremendous drop. Like, yeah. it's so quick it's like, that it, it just tanks. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely going to go back. I'll probably join you for IMAX if you think of me, but... We'll see. I don't know. I'm going to take my... <laughs> Shut up. I'm going to take... Well, you like to sit in weird seats, 
So I don't know how you do IMAX. Yeah, but... Just sit in weird. I just don't understand. You know, we're three and a half hours into this podcast. And we're going to pick on Chandler because he likes Ana de Armas and likes to sit in the perfect spot in the middle of the movie theater. Like, what? Not the perfect spot, bro. Most people would say directly in the center is you like Okay, to here's the thing. No, no, no. Let's, let's get into this. Heaven. Imagine, if you will, let's do a thought experiment. There's the theater. Most theaters are are like this. There's the front section of seats and then the back section of seats with a walkway in the middle. I like to sit in the back row of the front section, right in the middle. At that point, the screen fills my entire field of view, but I don't have to turn my head to see what's going on. But also I have no – my peripheral doesn't really show me anything, and that's my way that I can focus the best. If I sit too far back in the theater – I can see the exit signs. I can see people getting up to go to the bathroom and stuff, and it's yeah, very distracting. Distraction, yeah. That's not. That's not a bad. I got you. Method. And I, in a bigger theater, it's fine. The times that you and I have gone to the movies together, which I cherish so much, <laughs> <laughs> we've gone in smaller theaters, and it is much harder to watch the film there. Then so like rest in peace to Cinemark. If we were going to Cinemark, all the theaters there are large. Like sitting in those seats is not a, a deal breaker ever. Mm-hmm. It's not a deal breaker ever because clearly I did the shit with you a couple, two, three times. But in that little ass theater, my neck's way the fuck yeah. back here. And so I just want you to know that that is my testament to how much I value our fucking friendship because it's uncomfortable as shit. Uncomfortable. <laughs> that well, means a lot to me. Thank you. You're welcome, friend. You don't know pain until. You watch a movie the way I saw Toy Story 4, very front row, all the way to the right. I've been there before, bro. That's, it's rough. Yeah. I saw The Mummy 2 like that back in high school. Nice. I was so pissed off to this yeah. day. I, re- I actually, it was such a bad experience that I vividly remember it. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember leaving being like, I didn't watch that movie. Like yeah. I can't. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't see shit. It was the worst. They need to defund those seats. First (laughs) time I saw Dark Knight Rises, uh, I was a little late to the theater and I had to sit like, yeah, all the way in the corner. And I still remember having a great time, but I was definitely like, you're like giving a pep talk to yourself the whole time. You're like, just try to enjoy the movie. Like You can can come back and see it properly. Those seats just need to be abolished from theaters. But anyway, what do I know? Cool, guys. Uh... Doom is the shit. That is that is my wrap up finale about it. If you have the ability to see it in IMAX or just with big surround system, I would say do it, man. The sound design uh, it really enhanced the experience for me personally. So, um, you know the vibes, man. Instagram, uh, Facebook at kinda k i n d a movie critics on Twitter at kinda movie crits. Uh, and remember, we call ourselves kinda movie critics because we kind of are, we kind of not. Just a bunch of people who like to watch movies. This has been an On Ear Network production.